Father, you are great. We thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, good morning. Welcome. I'm glad you're with us today. And if you're tuning in online, we are going to continue in worship as we open the word to Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. And uh, today we are coming to a close in our study of the text of Colossians. And it's been an amazing, renewing time for me. I think of the things we have seen as we've gone through this text, especially the supremacy and the beauty of Jesus and uh, all that that means for us and his conquering of all evil. In chapter 2, we saw that he made a spectacle of all evil powers by the cross. And so we have this freedom from evil, this freedom from sin, this beautiful uh, opportunity to live with heaven in mind, with resurrection in mind, with eternity in mind. And now uh, we come to the part of the letter where Paul is going to give us an insight into his life and relationships, uh, and he's going to show uh, us uh, As he writes from prison, he's going to show us a lot about what it means to have uh, gospel-centered friendships. But before I dive into that, I'd like to start with a story just to set the stage. As many of you know, the earthquake in Kobe, Japan in January 17, 1995 was a turning point in my life. I was there serving with P&G, and uh, this was a massive earthquake that uh, toppled 35,000 buildings, 55,000 people were injured, and almost 20,000 were killed. And uh, I had a near-death experience during that earthquake. And uh, we were 6,000 miles from home. There were about uh, 50 to 60 expatriate families that were there. And most of us, many of us, lived on the island, on an artificial island, about a mile away from the epicenter of the earthquake. And so during that time after the uh, earthquake, we were together overcoming, uh, helping one another, uh, making plans to have our families shipped home. Uh, We were uh, working with the local uh, Japanese people. There was food being helicoptered in. There were fires burning for a couple of days on the mountain around us. Uh, that you see in this picture. And uh, there was trauma. There was teamwork. um, There was overcoming. And and that continued for a period of a a number of months as most of the employees stayed in Japan to rebuild and most of the families came back to the United States or Canada or wherever they were from, United Kingdom. And uh, it was an amazing time of... uh, dealing with the difficulty together and overcoming together. Uh, Last year, uh, we got together for the 20th anniversary, sorry, 25th anniversary uh, of the earthquake, and uh, we gathered at Mad Tree here in Cincinnati, and about 60 to 65 people showed up. And it was just not only the employees at that time, but it was also our kids And it was a a joyful celebration of everything that uh, had happened and how we had 
benefited from it or grown from it or brought into, brought into focus this life, which was certainly the case for me to start living uh, for eternity and not living for myself. Um, so that story, I just want to pause there, and I want you now to imagine what it's going to be like when we gather in eternity to celebrate what God did in rescuing us from the earthquake that is life on fallen planet Earth and imagine how we're going to celebrate when we share stories of how we work together so that other people could be rescued. And then you have a small idea of what's going through Paul's mind as he's finishing this letter and he's writing to his friends. And so today's uh, title is Gospel-Centered Friendships. And I'm going to be reading the last part of the letter, verses 7 to 18. So would you, uh, as you, as you hear these words, imagine, think about Paul in jail, writing to his friends, and consider the richness of relationships and the deep satisfaction of living the gospel and following Jesus together. Chapter 4, verse 7 and following. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that's happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. The Lord, as we unpack this word of yours today, help us to see uh, the things you have in mind for each of us as we consider our relationships and as we desire, like Paul, to have more gospel-centered friendships. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if there's one idea from today that I'd, I'd like to leave with you or have you get a hold of, this one thing would be to get this vision for uh, a life that's filled with gospel-centered friendships. 
And to the extent that's already the case, praise God, but to the extent that there's opportunities for us to open ourselves to what God wants. And, and I believe that he wants us to cultivate relationships that are rooted in the gospel uh, because these relationships are, by definition, more authentic, more fruitful, and of course, they are eternal. They have eternal value. So let's get a hold of that vision for these gospel-centered friendships. And from the text, I want to just share four characteristics of Paul's gospel-centered friendships that I drew from the text as I studied it. You may see more, but number one, this idea of shared suffering and comforting of one another. That is a part of life here in this side is difficult, broken. There are going to be difficulties, and we have an opportunity to comfort one another. Uh, secondly, the idea of uh, purposeful and generous prayer and hospitality. And we see that that's a, a, an anchor uh, of the relationships that Paul has generated over time. Thirdly, that they're purposeful, that they're missionally focused. And he comes through the letter, and as he tells them to read the letter and to read the other letter, that he wants them to stay focused on the mission that Jesus has given them. And he even uh, gives a specific assignment to one of the people listening. And then finally, that it, it would be these, these relationships are hopeful because his grace always is with us. And Paul in chains is remembering the grace of God, which has become the hallmark of his life. So that's the four parts we're going to go for here today. I'm going to dive into part one, gospel-centered friendships. And in verse uh, of, of, of this idea of suffering and comforting one another. So in verses 7 to 11, Paul mentions six of his friends. And uh, I'd just like to see here that he, he, is, he is suffering, he has been, and we, we've, we've read some of that uh, already, but he's uh, also been comforted by his friends. And that joy we have to comfort one another when things are not going well, when things are difficult, when things are... Uh, hard, we can comfort one another, and he's, uh, he's seeing that happening. And I, I just want to zero in and look at four of these friends uh, here. So let, let's just take a look, quick look at them. First of all, Tychicus. Now, Tychicus has seen a lot of Paul in action, all right? Uh, this letter is being written during Paul's third missionary journey. So he's in prison in Ephesus, and Tychicus has already seen a lot of action. Tychicus was in the theater. Uh, he's from Asia. He was in the theater when all heck broke loose about Artemis of the Ephesians. And he's one of the guys who basically says to Paul, do not go in there. Do not try to talk to these people. This is not going to be helpful. So Paul yields. But Tychicus has been sent to Colossae, to Ephesus, and even Crete. Uh, he's one of these eight leaders that's traveling with Paul uh, that we see in Acts chapter 20, verse 4. And he is in jail with Paul now in, in, in Ephesus. And he's got more trouble um, coming because... Uh, no, no, sorry, not, that's a different one. Sorry. He, he is uh, being called by Paul... Uh, a trusted dear brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant. 
He sees Eutychus raised from the dead when he falls out of the window after Paul preaches all night. And uh, he's there at the tearful farewell of the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. So Tychicus uh, is a trustworthy man, and he has a lot, Paul has a lot of admiration for this guy. Next one is Onesimus. Onesimus is an amazing story. He is, uh, it's a story of how powerful the gospel is to reconcile relationships which the pagan culture had given up on. Onesimus, his name means useful, he's the escaped slave of Philemon, who's a friend of Paul's, a convert of Paul's. He was running away from Philemon, from Colossae. He's 125 miles away in Ephesus, and he goes to visit Paul. And the difficulty of that is hard to imagine for us because this guy had a wanted, had a, had a most wanted call on his life for escaping his, his master. So Paul leads him to Christ in Ephesus while he's in jail. Then he writes a letter to Philemon, which we have in the Bible, our Bibles, and he sends Onesimus back to be reconciled to Philemon, which would be, as I said, from Philemon's standpoint, you're what? You want me to reconcile with this slave who ran away and probably took money? So he goes back and he becomes reconciled to Philemon. And then there's at least one scholar named John Knox who believes that the bishop of Ephesus in 110 AD named Onesimus is this very same Onesimus. It's hard for us to prove that, uh, but that's a, a very high probability. So here is a redeemed life, a redeemed relationship, and someone who becomes a leader in the church unheard of in the pagan world. Aristarchus has seen a lot of trouble with Paul as well. Uh, so he's the one who told him not to speak in the theater. Uh, he's part of Paul's eight-man team. He's in jail right now with Paul. And Aristarchus has got more trouble coming because he's going to be on the faithful sailing trip uh, to Rome where they are shipwrecked in Malta. Uh, Aristarchus is going to be with Paul on that journey. And then finally you have Mark and a mention of Barnabas. And we're going to talk a little bit more about Barnabas uh, in the next two Sundays. But Mark have this falling out with Paul because uh, Mark uh, abandoned the mission in Perga on the first missionary journey. So Mark is a cousin of Barnabas. He's related also to Peter. Not sure exactly how. His Jewish name is John. Uh, and his Greek name is Mark. So he's known as John Mark. He leaves Paul in Perga. But this rift that is created is healed, and Paul actually uh, commends Mark, says, hey, if he shows up, welcome him. And then later, Paul asks for Mark to join him when he writes his last letter, 2 Timothy. And by then, Mark has become useful to Paul. So Mark also eventually authored what we have as the Gospel of Mark. So these relationships, uh, which were on the rocks, have been restored uh, because the gospel compels that reconciliation. So, uh, that's a, a bit of an overview of this idea of comfort and suffering uh, in, in these relationships and all the difficulty they've been through together. And again, how rich that, that eternal reunion is going to be. 
So just to illustrate this idea a little bit, I want to share a video here from Dave and Carlene Heath, who we've been partnering with in ministry in translation of the Bible in Nigeria since 1994. So listen to what they have to say about gospel-centered friendships. Dear MCC family, thank you for allowing us to be part of this gospel-centered friendship message. We're so happy that MCC has been a part of our lives for our whole ministry of Bible translation since 1994. And we are grateful that you have sent people to visit us when we lived in Nigeria. In 2009, you sent five people to visit us. And when they were there, they were such a part of what was going on. They went to visit our home in the city and our home in the village. And one night that I remember very clearly, all five of them went out to a village with the Jesus film crew to show the Jesus film with the projector. And our family stayed home with our little boys. And when they came back, they were so excited. They got to share the gospel with people. They got to lead people to Christ. They got to pray for people to be healed. And they came back just excited about being a part of the gospel. We also went through a lot of uh, different problems in Nigeria. We had riots and we had issues with uh, parents being sick. And I still remember standing out in the rain talking with uh, Elder Zeke and Pastor Dennis about our problems and just being able to share our hearts with them and how they were able to respond to us and give us guidance and direction. And so we just appreciate how that iron sharpens iron uh, has happened throughout the years. And being a Bible translator, we're very specific in our ministry, and yet we appreciate how MCC has come beside us uh, in helping with the Jesus film and the follow-up program. And that's just been a great help to us, and it's allowed us to function in our area of strength instead of in an area of weakness. And I think of the passage uh, that we're reading today in the sense that they had Dr. Luke, and I'm sure Dr. Luke helped Apostle Paul in areas where he was not as strong. And so it's just a, a great encouragement to us, the friendships that we've had uh, with MCC, because we've been able to complement one another and encourage one another and be a blessing. And we just appreciate, and we're just so grateful for these relationships. He mentions uh, Dr. Luke there, you know, and I'm going to talk about Luke a little bit more in the next couple of Sundays, but uh, Luke, imagine how many times Luke had to patch Paul up. If he had the uh, 39 lashes five times and shipwrecks and stoned once, dragged out of the city, uh, and so uh, just, just keep that in the back of your mind. My dear friend, Dr. Luke, it's only, it's only a few words, but it speaks volumes about what probably was going on in that relationship that Luke decided not to talk about. So anyway, Paul moves now from this idea of suffering and comforting each other and helping each other through difficulties. He now shifts gears over to prayer and hospitality. And these are hugely important uh, uh, disciplines for spiritual well-being and physical well-being in the church, in the relationships that are going on. And he uses uh, Epaphras and Nympha as examples. So let's, uh, let's take a look at prayer first. And this is uh, Epaphras, the prayer warrior. Uh, his, uh, this is a disciple of Paul and a native of Colossae uh, who planted the church in Colossae. So he may have 
been trained by Paul at the hall of Tyrannus in Ephesus, but he went out and he planted the church in his hometown, Colossae, but also he's praying for Hierapolis and Laodicea. So it is likely that he also planted churches in those two cities. Uh, and here is a man wrestling for prayer, wrestling in prayer for the people that he has led to Christ. And he's praying for their maturity, but he's also praying for their assurance. They're in the middle of a very pagan community and a very pagan world uh, under Roman, uh, the Roman authorities. And so he is, knows that they're going to have doubts. They're going to run into problems. They're going to be experiencing difficulties. And he's still uh, uh, assuring them and over and over and over again, a man of prayer and deep care for his people. He's also in prison with Paul. And so here's a man who actually is a lot like Paul. So let's uh, dive in and tour Epaphras' turf a little bit. And you've got a map here. Uh, and and the, as you can see on the bottom right, we're in southwest Turkey. And you can see uh, to the left there, uh, Greece, and then further over, Italy. So we're in southwest Turkey. And where the pin drop is, that's Ephesus. There's a river valley that runs through there. And uh, where the red circle is, about 120 miles to the east, is the three cities of Colossae, uh, Laodicea, and Hierapolis. And they're all about seven or eight miles apart from each other in a tributary river called the Lycus River. So the Lycus River Valley, they're all in that area. And uh, Colossae is actually the least important of the three. Um, and, and today, and I've got a picture here, I think, it's a still an unexcavated tell. It's just a big, giant hill that sticks up out of, the, out of the valley, and it's got layers and layers of civilization. It hasn't been uh, excavated by the archaeologists yet. You can see this bowl that I'm looking at, uh, that we're looking at straight away. That's probably where the theater was. And um, this, this city is interesting. It's got a ton of very cold springs. So we went to a restaurant in Colossae, uh, which ended up being closed because of COVID, but they had this spring waterfall that was flowing, and there's tons of these around Colossae, uh, and you could feel the air conditioning effect. So there's the, 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 cool, the cool water of Colossae. Now next we, we went to Hierapolis, and here you have these pools of hot springs that are coming out of the, out of the ground on the edge of this cliff, and you can see it goes over, and then on the left side of the picture, it just falls off to a, a, white, a big white mountain. And what it is is hot springs are creating the leaching of calcium out of the limestone. So this is a natural uh, world heritage site, but on the top, on the top right of the picture, there's pools that you can sit in of, of uh, hot springs water, and then all the way down, you see this giant mountain of white. And so that's what made Hierapolis famous back in the day. And it, it was like that when Paul was there, and it's continued to be like that now, and a lot of tourists come. The other thing we, we can see in Hierapolis, uh, just the size of the city has this huge theater, and it probably has the most well-preserved front uh, uh, piece there, the, the, the skina that's in the front there with those marble pillars where the actors would come out and say their part. But this is a very, 
very big city compared to Colossae. And then finally, I want to show you uh, Laodicea. And Laodicea, uh, this is the main street with the shops on it. Laodicea has these huge temples to Apollo, uh, to all the uh, different Greco-Roman gods. And they also have two huge theaters. Uh, interestingly enough, with the water being cold in Colossae and the water being hot in Hierapolis, the water in Laodicea is lukewarm. <laughs> so when you think about Revelation 3, the, 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 the Lord's illustrating this idea of spiritual lukewarmness. Now at this point, it's a brand new church. At this point, it's uh, on fire for the Lord. And so that, that is what Epaphras has done in this pagan community, these three different cities. And he's now laboring in prayer, uh, which is making a huge difference in those communities. But Paul shifts from prayer to hospitality. One of Epaphras' disciples named Nympha in Laodicea, plays a significant role. Now, Nympha, like the many women who responded to Jesus, uh, we read in Paul's letters of leading women responding to the gospel as Paul preached it. So, like Lydia in Philippi, uh, she has uh, responded to the gospel and she has begun to host the church gatherings in her home. She was probably, possibly a widow who inherited the, from her husband the family business, uh, probably wealthy, and probably hosted the church in her home. How do we know these things? Well, if you look at uh, this picture here from Laodicea, you see a peristyle home of a wealthy person, and in behind, there's another room on the top left. If you go through that wall, there's another room that was filled with crosses that were uh, etched into the stone, uh, dated uh, definitely uh, second century and probably first. This is a typical place where the church would gather. This is what Lydia wanted to do in Philippi, and this is, I believe, what Nympha is doing here. So she is extending her home, a place uh, of, by, by a citizen who's respected, and everybody lived a public life. If you didn't go to the temple sacrifices, then they would know that. If you did gather in somebody's home, people around would know that. It was a very public life. Very few people had the, the wealth or the power to have a private life like we do today. So, uh, very strong probability that the church gathered in this home in Laodicea I don't know if it's Nympha's home. We don't know that. But just to give you an idea of what was going on, a place where they could meet, uh, and she was using her wealth and her clout to provide for the church. And those meetings would include food and communion. So uh, this is another one of Paul's friends. So I just want to pause there and just give a couple of things of application. There's a lot of ways that we can join in to what we're seeing here in this idea of prayer and hospitality. So we can pray for our missionaries. We have a team of people that we call the rope holders. They're praying for our missionaries every month. We have another group, uh, and there's some overlap between these groups, called the prayer chain. When there's an emergency prayer request, you get an email and you pray for that request. 
You might get five or six of those every month. It varies some months more, some months less. Also, we have the prayer canopy where one day a month, for us is the third Monday, we pray for the whole city. So the prayer, the prayer guides for that are on the Connect desk, and you can take a copy to see how we're praying for the city. But those are three ways you can get connected in prayer. Uh, in terms of hospitality, there's two ways that I can think of right now. One is that uh, when we have visiting missionaries, and this has obviously been halted by, by COVID, but when that resumes, we have an opportunity to host missionaries in our home and to bring them here for training. Sometimes that can be a weekend. Sometimes that can be a week. Uh, it's not usually longer than that, maybe two weeks max. But you have an opportunity to host someone in your home. And then finally, uh, we, we, we love to gather in each other's homes for fellowship, especially around Shabbat or the Sabbath. So Friday night, Sabbath dinners. So we've uh, begun to host those. And if you are a family that does practice the Shabbat, then please let us know. And uh, we'd love for you to host uh, a gathering of other people in the church. Uh, if you want to learn more about that, then uh, you can join in on one of the gatherings that we're going to have. But it will give you a feel for how hospitality in the home, the scriptures, communion can be just part of ordinary life uh, like it was here. So these five different opportunities, there's a sign-up sheet on the Connect Desk. So, uh, and if you're watching online, just uh, email me at Dennis at Marymount Church, and we will uh, connect you to these different uh, ways of joining into this lifestyle of prayer and hospitality. Now, Paul, in the third part of his uh, conclusion to the letter, moves to missionally focused uh, uh, encouragement. And first of all, he says to read the letter out loud. And, you know, typically these would be read from beginning to end. We've taken uh, 13 Sundays to sort of unpack this letter. There's a lot in it. But it's also great to just read it at one sitting, which I did again this morning, and just so encouraging to me. Uh, so he's saying, read the letter and, you know, do what it says, <laughs> right? Do what it says. And, but he also says, now have this letter read in the other church in Laodicea. And he says, have the letter to the Laodiceans read in this church. And you're probably wondering, there's no letter to the Laodiceans in here. What's he talking about? Well, most scholars believe that what he's referring to is the letter to the Ephesians. Because in the earliest manuscripts of Ephesians, the word Ephesian is not in there which has led scholars to believe it's a circular letter to all the churches. And we presume that that has landed in Laodicea, and he wants that letter also read. And there's a lot in common between Colossians and Ephesians. So Paul has written this letter we've been studying to one church with specific things, but he's also, uh, at a similar timing from jail, sent F the letter to the Ephesians to all the churches. So that's what's going on there. But then he gives an individual challenge to Archippus. How would you feel like being Archippus in this moment where the whole church is gathered and it basically says, all right, Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I'm not going to do that to anybody right now. 
But what is your ministry in the Lord? You see, everybody has one. For some, it's ministering in worship. For others, it's ministering in children's and ministering in the front. For others, it's ministering in the marketplace. For many, it's raising up godly children. That's your ministry right now. That's your focus. That's awesome. But what is your, what is your ministry? So Archippus uh, is urged here. He calls him a fellow soldier in the letter to Philemon. He seems to be part of Philemon and his wife Aphia's household. So I don't know by his name, master of the horse, is he taking care of their animals? Is he, is, we don't know if he's a free person or a slave, but we do know that Paul considers him a fellow soldier. And so with that, uh, I want to uh, just take this aspect of challenge. One of our missionaries who challenges me all the time uh, is Dave and Rebecca Heidenreich. Uh, so I want us to hear from them uh, this morning as well. So would you uh, listen to this little video? Hello, Marymount Community Church. We are Dave. And Rebecca Heidenreich. And we're coming to you from up north in where we live in Chicagoland. And we just wanted to thank you guys uh, for uh, being involved with us for several years, many years now, in what Dennis is calling in this series, Gospel-Centered Relationships, something akin to what Paul and his partners experienced back in the first century. So I can remember many, many years ago when Marymount Church literally had us um, in the gym before it was renovated. Uh, go down on the floor and people surrounded us to pray us off and to send us off initially to Singapore but then later to Indonesia. So we have so many stories we could share but we're really just trying to keep it concise and we're so thankful for the experience of being able to have these gospel-centered relationships. We've had several teams visit us when we were overseas. Uh, Jim Holt, the former pastor and some others came, uh, Dave Pease and Mark Norman. And then um, Anne Alyssa Bedanes, or, or sorry, Anne Bedanes and Alyssa Cambrin came, and that was great fun. And then, of course, Dennis and Marianne came, as well as uh, Paul and, and then Paul and uh, Julie Rasmussen and the Mormons came again. Um, so we have been uh, very much the beneficiaries of short-term teams for Marymount Church as well. And one of my profs at Trinity talks about missionaries being a bicultural bridge. How we bring uh, things back to our home countries uh, that we've experienced and blessing hopefully back to the sending churches while also taking things from our homeland in particular attempting to bring Jesus to lost people there. So we very much view that as a part of our ministry and we know that you guys do as well and that's how it works. So I also just think about how many, many, many times we've sent out prayer requests and you all have wrestled in prayer with us. And we just so appreciate that support. We know that really that has been the thing that's allowed us to keep on keeping on. We feel like it's by God's grace that we still are able to serve him. Um, specifically, I remember also just comfort and encouragement in specific struggles so one of the times that, well, the time that Dennis and Marianne came to visit us was the year that our oldest was going to be going off to college. And I was just, you know, um, having not experienced that before, not really certain about all that that encompassed. And Marianne, in her wisdom and her experience, she said, I have the perfect book for you. And she brought it for me, and I read it, and we talked about things with it, and it really helped me. And now I've actually passed it on to many other women. 
So there's so many stories that we could share with you guys. We just don't have time uh, on this short video, but we look forward to meeting those of you that we don't know and hopefully reconnecting with a bunch of the rest of you that we do know uh, this summer. Hopefully we would have come down and visit perhaps in July or August. So God bless you all. Thank you so much for your partnership with us in the gospel. In closing, I just want to mention, maybe you already know this, but the word koinonia that we always think means uh, friendship and hanging out together. Uh, in fact, means partnership. And so we experience a koinonia with you and others as we seek to bring Christ to the nation. So thank you so much. God bless. God bless. Yeah. And Dave, Dave and Rebecca have constantly challenged us to make disciples uh, as they are out internationally and in Chicago making disciples. They've challenged us. They've brought training here. Uh, we've replicated that training, and it's part of what we're doing now. But they, they have uh, challenged us and, and stimulated us as well, as he mentioned there, uh, us stimulating and encouraging them. So it's a two-way street, uh, and it's a, a wonderful, rich, international footprint that we've been able to participate in uh, beyond our local footprint and our uh, footprint nationally here. So... Uh, that leads into the fourth gospel-centered friendship characteristic, and that is that these relationships are hopeful. Despite all that Paul is facing, despite all that Dave and Rebecca have faced, despite all that David and Carlene have faced and the rest of our missionaries, we're hopeful because the grace of the almighty supreme Jesus, who we studied in chapter 1, who defeated the the, the forces of darkness in chapter 2, who teaches us how to walk and live and be married and have a household in chapter 3, is His grace is with us always. We're not doing this by ourselves. And it reminds me of Paul's radical encounter with Jesus and that his life was transformed by God's grace. He has a deep appreciation for God's grace because he walked in that. He was rescued from killing followers of Jesus to becoming a follower of Jesus to inviting the Gentile world to become followers of Jesus. And he proclaimed the gospel the way he understood it. The way he understood it wasn't that he used to be a Jew and he became a Christian. It was that he was a Jew zealously anticipating God rescuing his people and he realized that the methodology was different than he thought, that it was actually Jesus dying on a cross, relie relieving us from the power of sin and the powers of evil, and he became a follower of Jesus because that was what the entire Old Testament had promised him, that he would be set free, he would be brought into the final exodus. He would be brought out of exile. So he is proclaiming this gospel all over the place. He, is, uh, he has made the mission and he has made suffering and he has made prayer and, and all of that the, the way of life that he lives by. So Paul, uh, when he changed his name from Shaul to Paul, um, I believe he's taking... A, a, a humble, it's a, it's a Greek name for starters, so that helps, but it's, it means small. So his whole life is being transformed, and he uniquely grew up 
in three cultures. He understood Greek culture, he understood Roman culture, and he understood Jewish culture inside out. So he's pretty unique. He's traveled 13, and if he went to Spain, 15,000 miles uh, with the gospel. That's without first-class lounges or extended legroom seats uh, or anything else. But he wrote 27% of the New Testament are his letters. Then he also influenced and supervised Luke's writing of the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, which is another 27%. So more than half of the New Testament is directly influenced by Paul. He modeled the life poured out and a life lived in exile because he grew up in Tarsus. Uh, he studied in Jerusalem, but he spent the rest of his life on the road for the gospel. And so the next two Sundays, we're going to study Paul uh, and I'll bring in some of what I uh, received on my trip to Turkey and Greece uh, in May and show you some of what uh, I think of when I think of Paul now and the, the amazing contribution he made, but to a life lived in exile. And, you know, we are all living in exile. So that's, that's going to be our next series. After I get done with Paul, we're going to look at biblical characters who lived a godly life in an ungodly world. So we're going to be looking at Abraham and Joseph, uh, at Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we're going to look at Esther, and we're going to look at the early disciples. So that's going to be our, our summer series where we can, we can bone up on living uh, in an uh, ungodly world. So Paul concludes with grace, with the gospel, that we have been saved by this Jesus who defeated the power of darkness and invited us into his eternal family. And in that process, we are being invited into uh, this rich set of relationships that we have because of the gospel. We are here together because of the gospel. This morning, right now. You are online watching this because of the gospel. And so my challenge for this week, and worship team, you can come on up. My challenge this week is uh, to examine your friendships. Uh, ask Jesus how to make his gospel central with each relationship. And then walk it out with him in obedience through his grace and see how you can bring the gospel into more and more of a central role in your friendships, in your relationships. And take that time to just look through and how are you spending your time, where are you spending uh, your energy. Imagine at the end of your life having the opportunity to write a letter to your friends and to uh, encourage them the way Paul is here, and to be able to be that person that reminded them of the gospel, reminded them of the grace of God, reminded them of the challenges you went through together, reminded uh, them of their vows in marriage and what that meant, reminded them of 
uh, raising up godly kids and what that meant. Reminded them of what it looks like to work uh, at all we do in our work as unto the Lord. And be, be that person with that rich web of relationships. That, that wonderful gospel-centered set of friendships that brings comfort in suffering. That brings prayer and hospitality. That brings a, a focus on the mission with our time, talent, and treasure. And that most of all, reminds one another of the grace of God. That whatever we're facing now, Jesus has already overcome it. So Father, as we uh, turn now to uh, giving you praise for all that you have done for us. And all that you've done in this uh, series in Colossians. We now uh, lift our hearts to you, Lord. And we declare that your love has made it possible for us to be friends. Your love has made it possible for us to be connected to people who love you all over the world. Your love has made it possible to have family, uh, to have uh, friendships, to have hope. So we give you praise, God, as we worship you in song now. In Jesus' name, amen.